friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. This morning, uh, we're excited to begin a new series in the book of 2 Timothy. And so we can throw that slide, uh, first slide up there. That would be awesome. So we've kind of titled this Last Words, which is, let me get that out of my beard. There we go. Got it. Um, it, last words. This is Timothy. Uh, Timothy and Paul had this amazing relationship. And Paul, at the end of his ministry and really the end of his life, he writes this letter to Timothy, um, which are basically his last words. And they're about how to live faithfully. And so we just kind of, as we thought about titling this series, we we're just like, how to live faithfully in the last days. That's what Paul wants Timothy to know. How do I live in the last days? And now I, I know what you might be saying. Do you, are you thinking we're living in the end times and all that stuff? And I'll just say, like, if you get into that stuff, I love it. I love that stuff over coffee. But here, here's the thing. All Christians since Jesus believe that we're living in the last days. Part of how you live faithfully is living as if we're living in the last days. And no matter when you're alive, you're like, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. That's why he tells the story of the bridegroom, right? And the ladies with their wicks trimmed and their oil, their lamps full. Because he's like, you don't know when it's going to happen. So you have to live as if it's going to happen today. Live as if it's going to happen today. And Paul writes this letter to Timothy because he's like, I need you to know these things. I need to reinforce the truths that I've given you. I need to encourage you. I need to comfort you. I need to ask some things of you. And it's this beautiful treatise from him about how to live faithfully. And I love that we have this letter. And I want you to think about even for yourself, like, right, if you had somebody you've been discipling or even one of your children and you had to write them a letter to just say, hey, here's summing up all that I've taught you, all that I've invested in you. Here's what I need to remind you of. And you've got like four little chapters of a letter. What would you include? You'd probably include some things that are like the big issues of life. They're really important. And I I think we're going to tease this out because here's what I think is I I think we have uh, entered a time in our society in the United States of America that uh, to live faithfully in these days, we actually need something different. Uh, We need a new way Um, which is always an old way. So when I say new way, I'm I'm not remaking Christianity. Really, the new way of Christianity is always recovering the old. In the Old Testament, right, it was always, they had revival when they recovered the Old Testament, when they recovered the scriptures and the sacrifices, and they're like, oh, now we remember, and they'd go back and they'd start again. We're in a time in history in the church in America where we have to start again. Like like the, the things that have worked for the last 50 years don't work anymore. And so we have to say, God, we need new wine, Right? And we need new wineskins. We, we want a refreshing of your presence. We want a, a fresh move of your spirit. 
And so Paul goes into this, uh, right? He's writing from a Roman prison. Paul's in chains. It says in, in 2 Timothy, he's literally writing this. And this isn't the first time Paul goes to prison, he's on house arrest. So people can bring him food and they can come and go. And it's, it's not that bad. But now he's like, no, no, I'm in chains. I'm in jail. There's no one here for me. I need, I need encouragement from you. He's teaching Timothy to come to him, right? But he's also like, I'm nearing the end. The context of him writing this is out of like suffering, isolation, difficulty. And I love how in the midst of that, he pours his heart out to his disciple. He's like, hey, I, I, need, I need you to have these things. So to get the context, that's, that's what's happening in, in Paul's life right now is he's in prison, he's in chains. So if you, if you turn to 2 Timothy, you've got Bibles in your pews. Open to chapter 1. I'm just going to read this first section that we're going to address this morning. I'll have it on the screen as well. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that you, I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit did not give us, uh, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. What's Paul doing in this passage? I, I, I want to just stop and we're just going to stay in this place because I think Paul's doing something really clear in this passage and really important. Paul is rooting Timothy's faith in a reality. And he's saying you need to keep these things if you want to live faithfully. And so that also means that our enemy and our flesh and the world has a purpose to disconnect us from these things. So Paul's saying, I, I want to connect you to these things, but you also have, again, your flesh, the enemy. You know, right, the, the Bible says we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're trying to disconnect you from these realities, and here's what they are. What does Paul do first, right? Paul roots Timothy in his spiritual heritage. And this goes back, this is what it means to be a, a, a faithful Jewish believer. If you go back to the Old Testament, you read the book of Deuteronomy, it says the word remember over and over and over again. Remember, do not forget. Remember, do not forget. Remember, do not forget. God's saying if you're not careful, you will get disconnected from the story of the people of God, from your heritage and if you do that, it's like getting isolated. It's like the animal that gets isolated from the pack. And what does the predator do? It's like, oh, let me take out the one who's kind of going on their own. Um, and, and, and so he roots Timothy in this thing, right? What does he say? He, say, he says, I, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. I'm now persuaded lives in you also. It's this incredible thing that if we're not careful, we'll think that we discovered faith all on our own. Right? But for the, for the, the great uh, portion of us, we receive faith from somebody else. And for the most part of us, we actually receive faith through our family. Like we received it from a mother and a father 
from a grandfather, from a grandmother, from an aunt, from an uncle. Many times our story is a family. And even if you're saying, yeah, but not me, I received it just direct. I didn't have a family heritage like that, but you received it from a Christian. Someone shared the gospel with you, or you received it straight from Jesus, which is awesome too. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, what I have received, I now pass on to you. Paul says, I didn't create the gospel. I didn't make this up. I received this directly from Jesus. And now I pass on to you what I received, that Jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures, that he rose again on the third day, that he appeared to as many as 500. This is what I've received, and this is what I'm giving. If we're not careful, we'll think that we haven't received something. We'll think we, we created something, and you'll move from like gratitude to like kind of like self-righteousness or entitlement. Um, the, the other thing that I think... Um, we have to do is we have to think about what we've received and and I just see this so much friends so like this is the water we're swimming in and the water we're swimming in is what C.S. Lewis would call uh, chronological snobbery has anybody ever heard this term chronological snobbery which is we look back at our ancestors and we judge them and we're like, they're so legalistic. Oh my goodness, how did they not get that right? How, you mean? And so we, we stand and we look backwards and we judge. And what happens when we do that is it disconnects our heart from our heritage. And, and we set ourselves above the generations who came before us. But you know what that cycle does? Do you know who's next on that list? You. <laughs> Me, you're like, oh man, somebody's gonna look back at my life and go like, how did Jonathan miss that? Gosh, my dad was just not great. It's like it's it's so it's this cycle that gets reproduced. And so what I, I've tried to do is like in my life, I want to connect to my spiritual heritage, and and I want to rather than stand in judgment of my parents and my grandparents of the church mothers and fathers who loved me, discipled me. I want to look back at my life and rather than stand in judgment on the bad, I want to receive what is good and I want to give grace for where things were wrong or they were misdirected. Because humility would say, but for the grace of God, there go I. Right? And my grandparents did things that I, there's no way I could possibly do some of the things they did. Right? Like the amount of mental toughness and faithfulness and per perseverance and endurance. We have it easy in many ways because of the price paid by them. And you could say, yeah, maybe my grandparents and parents were better at the hard virtues, but we're better at the soft virtues. We might be better at grace and forgiveness and acceptance and welcome, but, but also like they were amazing at working for the kingdom working for the church. We're all sitting in churches that were built mostly by our grandparents and parents in buildings that they paid for, raised the money, sacrificed, put their own blood and sweat and tears into. And God says this, he says, when you move into the land I've given you, do not forget that you've moved into cities that you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant and houses you didn't build. Remember, it's the Lord your God that did these things for you. And even if you say, it's the work of my hands that created all this wealth for me, don't forget, it's, the, it's God who gives you the ability to create wealth. So there's nowhere you could take your story where you don't end up with God and his work, his power, his grace. So for me, this has been a key part because I was a, a young pastor who just got sideways in ministry. I got sideways with the church. I got sideways with church people. And I was arrogant and prideful and I was judgmental. 
And God took me to the desert. Anybody else been there? You're like, I'm so great. I know everything. These people know nothing. And then God's like, let me take you to the wilderness and humble you. And I came out of that wilderness going, like, God, thank you for my parents. Thank you for my grandparents. Thank you for my church. Thank you for that Sunday school lady that I terrorized, who, like, led me. Thank you, my brother-in-law, sister. My brother-in-law is my youth pastor, which qualifies you for sainthood automatically. Uh, but we're not Catholic, so... Uh, but otherwise, I mean... Guys, the people who go before us... Um, it's so easy to judge backwards. Um, and Matthew says, 7, Judge not lest you be judged. The measure with which you judge, it will be applied to you. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to stand in the world going like, I want maximum grace from everyone. That's what I want. I, want, I don't want people to, not to condemn me and judge me and hold me to the, like, the highest account. I, I want grace. And so I want to give grace so this little book here right here is really special to me. This is my grandpa's prayer journal. My mom gave it to me uh, when I was 20. When I like said, I'm going to go into ministry. I'm going to give my whole life to God. I'm going to give my career to Jesus. I want to serve the church. And she's like, here, I want you to have this. And I mean, this is just an incredible gift of God. The faithfulness. My family is probably, on my mom's side, probably a little over 100 years now of someone in our family in full-time ministry. And I just want to say, God, thank you for my heritage, for your grandmother, for your mother. Like, your enemy wants to disconnect you from that. He wants you to judge it. He wants to take you all the things that, you, that they did wrong and focus on those things. But Paul says, no, 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 I'm reminded of the faith that you received. And I love this. It lived in your grandmother. It lived in your mother. And now it lives in you and if we would trace our spiritual heritage, the thread goes all the way from me to Jesus. Someday in heaven, you'll get to see across the ages, the person who led you to Christ, who led them to Christ, who led them to Christ, who led them to Christ, who led, them to Christ, who led them, all the way back. to It literally will connect to Jesus on the cross. Like that's our heritage. And yes, if you read the Gospels, if you read even, even the, um, the genealogy of Jesus included some messed up people, right? Some imperfect, sinful, wayward people. And yet Jesus said, these are my people. These are the people who brought me to this place. So Paul says, you've got to connect. So this morning, I want to encourage you and I want to pray this morning that some of you have gotten disconnected from your spiritual heritage. And I, I want to ask that God would restore you to it. Not excuse sin. Not excuse legalism. Not excuse any kinds of abuse. Anything like that. But is there anything good that you have received? Can you hold on to it? And thus, are you holding on to the thread of faith? Because if you want to live faithfully, you've got to be connected in this way. So Paul does this for Timothy. Uh, what else does Paul do? Um, I'm going to move to... Oh, wait. There we go. Paul roots Timothy in his personal redemption story. He said, I'm reminded of this faith that lives in you, right? I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He's saying, remember, Timothy, of the journeys, like these things that I imparted to you. I want you to connect to your story. Because what happens, the enemy wants to disconnect you from your redemption story. Because if he can do that, if he can create more and more and more space, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, you'll begin to forget 
and you'll begin to numb towards the work of God. So what does, what does David say in Psalm 51? He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. What he's saying there is literally, restore me, God, to my own story. I got wayward. I forgot about your salvation. I haven't been rehearsing your deeds over and over again in my life. Would you restore to me the joy of salvation? Restore me to my own story. Some of you in this room right now, you might be feeling dry, empty, right? We sang Psalm 63, in a dry and weary land, and God's just, he, what he wants to do is, he wants to restore you to that salvation story, to your redemption story. He wants to restore you to these things, because if you want to live faithfully, you've got to keep that thing fresh, You've got to keep a freshness of God's action in your life. Uh, and, and again, that's why Deuteronomy 5, that we talk about parents, God's saying, say these things when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up and tie them on your wrists and put them on your foreheads. And what, what is that story? It's the redemption story of Israel. He's like, I want it to be here for the rest of your life. Who I am and what I did for you. But if we're not careful, as time goes on, we'll get further and further away from my deliverance. And what will you do? You'll start to chase other things. You'll start to replace me with idols. And so like, he's like, I want my story of redemption close, 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 always. I want you praying over it. I want you to remember it. I want you sharing it, right? So Paul does this for Timothy. And then the last thing Paul does is he roots Timothy in their discipling relationship. And this is huge because you, you get restored usually to God through these relationships. You, you receive the gospel and then you receive the life of Christ through people who invest in your life. And I think it's maybe just you get older. I think I, I'm 45 now and I'm just so grateful for the people who have invested in my life. I, I can't imagine where I would be if my parents hadn't rooted my life in the church if they hadn't given me the family of Jesus to love me, serve me, pray for me, pick me up, confront me, comfort. I mean, it's just, I don't know how you do life without it. Like, I, I literally don't know. How do you get through this life without the church, without the family? But in, in my life, I have had these relationships. So I've got uh, Greg and Todd who are here this morning. Todd Lovelace. In 1998, I'm 20 years old. I'm like, I'm going to go into youth ministry. And somebody's like, you should talk to this guy at Crossings. They have a great youth ministry. I go to church there. I volunteer. And I meet with Todd at a Chili's. And we shared the love of chicken crispers. Um, and skillet queso discipled me in the ways of... Uh, luckily, I broke out of that. Now I eat all kinds of foods. But at 20... That was me. And then uh, Greg showed up uh, um, that summer, and we have had a 25-year relationship now where they have been my mentors and fathers in the faith. And they've been there for me at my highest moments, and they have been there for me in my lowest moments, and they have seen me when I struggle, and I'm an idiot, and they've seen me when I'm like wise and generous, and they know who I am. And yet they love me. They've invested their life in me. I think of Billy Patterson, uh, who's not here this morning, and Lance Humphreys, who are guys that are outside the church that God brought me. And I, I, I looked up in my email this morning. I was wondering when, like, my first communications with Lance, and it was late, uh, uh, early 2010. I was just walking through the emails this morning. 
And I was paying attention to the headings of the emails. Prayer needed. Thoughts on this. I need help. Encouragement. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like, and I'm like, for the last 13 years, I've had one of the godliest men I know just be available to me for every question, any question I have about life, family, work, money, but especially what it means to follow Jesus and all those things. Paul wants to root Timothy in their relationship. I love, he says, Timothy, my dear son. My dear son. In the church, we have these family relationships, like our nuclear biological family, but then we also have the family where we become fathers and mothers in the spiritual sense, and we become sons and daughters in the spiritual sense, and we become brothers and sisters in the spiritual sense. And Jesus actually said, he said, here are my mother and father, brothers and sisters. Anyone who does the will of God is my family. It's my family. And what does he do for his family? That family, he goes to the cross and he dies for them. So I want to encourage you this morning in this idea that Paul is rooting Timothy in the church. He's rooting him in this mysterious thing that Jesus said, I am going to die for a family of people. God's always after a people, not just individuals, right? He wanted Israel, he wants the world, but then he wanted the church. And he roots his story in his spiritual heritage of his family, in his redemption story, in his discipleship relationship. And this morning, I just want to talk about real quick, I, I, know, uh, I know how hard this is. Uh, how many people have been in church their whole life? Anybody? You're like, I was born, right? Yeah, Okay. So unfortunately, church is full of people, right? <laughs> Fortunately, church is full of people. And God never says, come into the church where people have solved all their problems and are perfect now and we'll help you solve all your problems and you'll be perfect and we'll all live perfectly together until you die. It's like, no, 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 come into the messiest family you've ever met. Because it's just like every other family. And it's, it's beautiful because you don't get to choose your family. If you choose it, it's not, it's, you know, it's just like, no, no, like, this is the family that was given to me. And God says, come into this thing and look at me and we'll all change together. We'll be transformed. Second Corinthians 3, from glory to glory, as we gaze on him, we're transformed over time. And here's one of the biggest keys, friends. The biggest gift in my life has been being in this church for 16 years straight. Because there's just nothing like a long-term relationship with people to watch them grow and change and forgive and let go and apologize and, uh, and just experience the cost of life together in community. I mean, it's, it's just a beautiful thing, and it's a painful thing. And that's why I just want to acknowledge... Like, this thing that Paul's talking about, Timothy, root your life in these relationships, root your life in Jesus, root your life in the kingdom, root your life in the church. There's a cost here. And, and many of us in this room have experienced this cost. Like, Paul's not doing this, right, in a vacuum. He's not giving Timothy cheap advice from the cheap seats. He, he knows the cost, right? The, these scriptures. Just in this book, he says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. 
Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Alexander, the metal worker, did a great deal of harm to me. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Paul isn't telling Timothy to do these things because it's easy or because there's not going to be any cost. He's actually saying, no, 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 like, they're so valuable. They're, there's like a, uh, there's a connection between the value and the cost. The value of these things in your life is directly connected to the amount it will cost you. The amount of humility, the amount of grace, the amount of forgiveness. Right? Is, is Paul's doing this saying, like, I um, am doing this in real life and so the, the acknowledgement for, for me at this phase is just to acknowledge the, the amount of like church, um, faith, Christianity, Christian camp, Christian family pain there exists in this room right now. Like, like the amount of pain that human beings in the church have inflicted on each other is, is gut-wrenching. And it's really difficult to talk about. It's really hard to get over because it's one thing to have a relational pain, but when you do relational pain in the midst of spiritual relationship, there's something about it that's just so hurtful. And what it does is it, it does the enemy's work, right? It disconnects us. It lets us just, I just got to stay at arm's length with God's people. And, and we start to accumulate statements like, I love Jesus, but I don't know about the church. Right? I love Jesus, but Christians, whew, get me away from them. And, and just so you know, I've made those statements while pastoring a church. Um, yesterday. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> Haven't said those words in a long time. Thank the Lord. But it, it's, it's going to cost, right? You're going to have these moments where you have to choose to affiliate and align yourself with the people of God with all of the mess, with all of the baggage, with all of the history, because you're going to end up like Peter, where Jesus says, do you want to desert me too? And he says, Lord, where would we go? Where would we go? There's no one else who has the words of eternal life. We know that you are the Holy One of God, and we know that you have chosen a people to dwell amongst not because they're perfect, because they're the ones who have surrendered their lives to you, who have loved you. But it's amazing, the pain. So my, my grandpa, my papa, pastored this little church in Oklahoma City on South Douglas, like Southwest 54th and Douglas. I don't know how many have made it over that side of town, but in the 19, I'm guessing early 70s, late 60s, maybe somewhere around there. Um, maybe it was mid-60s. Uh, Pastor in this little bitty church, in the midst of it, he gets introduced to what's called the full gospel movement. Anybody know anything about the full gospel movement? Right? So it, it, it's basically Pentecostal holiness movement, tons of uh, healing and tons of like speaking in tongues. Like it's just, it's Pentecostal. Well, the church he's pastoring was not Pentecostal. But in the midst of getting introduced to this movement, his spirit starts to come alive. These gifts start to come out of his life, prophetic giftings and stuff that we're all uh, enjoying the fruit of right now in our church. But his church, at some point, 
um, finds out that he's going to these meetings. And they find out that in his private life, he's praying in tongues. And so they rally together to get rid of him. Interesting story. In the midst of this, though, while he's doing this, they're experiencing the fruit of this ministry. Their church is growing. People are being healed. Stuff's happening. And it's, so it's like they get to this point where they basically are like, well, we, like, we love this, but we can't deal with that. Um, they actually had a guy in their church who's healed of blindness while my grandpa was preaching. Pfft, lights come on. So they get into this deal. They end up forcing him out of the church. That guy who was healed with blindness while he was preaching was one of the people leading the way to get rid of him because he found out my grandpa prayed in tongues in his prayer life. They got rid of him. That guy's blindness came back. He was blind till he died. It's an interesting story. But my grandpa, he's like, the amount of church pain like he had in his life, and yet you've never met a man who loved Jesus, loved the church, just stayed in the game Paul says this, he said, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Right, so Paul's taking the physical beatings of being an apostle. But I, I promise you, if you could see my spirit man, you would see the marks of ministry on my life. Of hurt and pain and wounds that came from being a pastor. And yet I sit here today and say, I've never loved the church more than I do at this moment right now. Never been more hopeful, more excited about the church, about you guys, about what God's doing in the world. I just, and it makes all that stuff worth it. I receive those things, right? I had a moment where, where Paul's saying like, like, you've got to choose, you've got to commit, you've got to root yourself. Um, and it's going to cost you. So in 2008, many of you know my story, my first wife, Samantha, was killed in a car accident. And the week after this car accident, we're back in Portland to do the funeral, and we're all at church together. And I've told this story, so many of you heard this story before, but it just was the moment where I knew I had to choose. And we get to the end of the service, it's Samantha's family all in a row, and my family all in a row, and we stand up, and we, we would end with communion. And I remember standing up, and it was like, okay, this is the choice. Am I going to take communion and identify myself with Jesus, or am I going to live you know, because the, the reason for me was I'm like, God, I sold a business at a loss. I chose to move my family across the country to be a, a, a church planner. I've given you everything. And on the way there, my wife dies in a car accident. If anybody had their right to like stand in the church and shake their fist at God, it would have been me. And in that moment, I just, I just chose this thing where Job goes, should I not receive good from God and not trouble? Am I only going to accept blessing or can I take suffering and not curse God and not walk away? And it was interesting because our whole family is standing in this row and you could tell everyone was waiting on me. And I moved out of the row and we followed and our whole families took communion and said, Jesus, your body and blood for me. We're in for life. Like, this will never change. I'll never give up. I'll never walk away. I will give you everything I have. Right? Because it's worth it in the end. Your reward is waiting for me. I believe that. Mm. And that's what Paul says, right? So at the end, Paul gets the glory of God. He says this, but in all these things, the Lord stood at my side. And gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed or the Gentiles might hear it. I was delivered from the lion's mouth. 
was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack, and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom to be, for him be the glory forever and ever. I love this. Paul just says, listen, you know what I get for all this trouble? You know what I get for rooting myself in the story of Israel and the story of Jesus and the people of God, pouring my life out? I get Jesus by my side. And his strength rescues me. I get to see his rescue. So this thing, like, like I said before, if we were to collect all of the um, church hurt, church pain, all the relational stuff, all the things that have happened to us, we would create this giant mountain of stories. And it would be really easy to make a community out of staring at that mountain of stories and talking about that mountain of stories and Soon you'll find yourself worshiping the story of your pain and how the church hurt you and how people uh, hurt you and all these things. Or you could let Jesus stand by your side and begin to grab those things and heal them and toss them away. And so here's, here's the problem is uh, the church is a people, Right? So it's even weird saying the church hurt you because it's not like the church hurt you. It's people in the church, but the, the church is represented by people. But here's the issue. The church can hurt you, but the church can't heal you. Oof. The church can hurt you, but the church can't heal you. Jesus can heal you. And here's the problem on the other side of that. Where do you find Jesus? You find Jesus in the church. How do I know that? Because Revelation says Jesus, right now, is walking amongst the lampstands of the church. Jesus lives for intercession in the body. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Jesus isn't working anywhere else. I'm just saying, like, this reality is clear. And here's what's happening right now in these days, if I can just, like, give a little bit of context. Jesus is taking the scattered ones in our nation, and he's gathering them back together. Some of you are here this morning. You're one of those people. You were scattered out of the church, not sent. You got scattered by bad shepherds, by a bad culture of church, by abusive leaders, and you've been out on the edges. And in this day, God is bringing people back in. And he's saying, I want to heal you, and I want to restore to you the love of my people. So I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to invite the band back up. And I want to just give a chance for the Holy Spirit to speak this morning. Um, so the questions would just be real quick. Are you connected to your spiritual heritage? Right? Do you have a story in your family of faith in Jesus? And has the enemy been able to, rather, through whatever means, has he been able to disconnect you? And could you this morning say, Jesus... <laughs> With all this stuff surrounding this, I would love to be connected to the purest form of your story and my story. Like, I, I want to be connected. Right. Are you connected this morning to your own redemption story? Have you been rehearsing the story of salvation that God wrote in you, in your life? Maybe this morning's a time you're like, I just need to reconnect to the joy of salvation, right? Where David says, how I used to lead the worshipers to your house. 
it's like, oh God, that's who I was. I was the worship leader. I was the guy down front. I was the person sharing the gospel with everything that moves. And now I've just kind of become lukewarm. I've become numb. Like God wants to do that this morning. ultimately, I just felt as, as I just kind of prepared this week and prayed that, that God wanted to do a great work of healing in people's hearts relating to uh, the church and relating to leaders and relating to just the story because Satan wants to disconnect you from your heritage, from your story, from any discipling relationships you've had. He wants to disconnect you from the people of God. And Jesus wants to heal whatever is in between there. And I had this thought, one, one was just ministry leaders. I don't know how many like former pastors we have in this room, or you led a ministry, or I just feel like God has a special heart for people who've just given them his whole life. I have such a special heart because I know what it costs to be a pastor, to give your whole life to Jesus. I just feel like he's like, ah, I want to bring those people close. I want to, I want them to know I'm not done with them. I think he wants to do a lot of healing that. I had, I had this real clear sense of like pastor's kids. I don't know how many pastor's kids we have in this room, but I'm a pastor's kid and I know what it feels like to be a pastor's kid. It's, it can be tough. And you can get to the point where you just feel like, like you're just stiff arming people around you because you're just like, oh, it can be so hard. Yeah. So I just want you to close your eyes and just take a moment. The other one was just people who have served in the church. You volunteered, you gave your time, you gave your money. And it probably feels like what I got for that is conflict, brokenness, anger, bitterness, confusion. And I'm talking, it could have been you were in college and you worked for a college ministry and you did one thing that got you in trouble and you got cast out of that ministry. You're like, ah, you can't be a part of this. You went to a party, you drank, you made a mistake. And it just could be, as an adult, you led a small group and it just got sideways. And the leaders of the church did a poor job. The human beings involved messed it up. And I just think God just wants to say, I want to lay it down. I want to heal that. And this, this thought, what doesn't get transformed gets transmitted. I think that's huge. That whatever is in you has to get transformed or we just pass it on. We pay it forward in the worst sense of the idea. And then I just I want to read this quote before we close because um, it has changed my life. This is from Rob Reamer in Soul Care. He says this, When I was in my mid-20s, I went to a John Maxwell conference. He said, I will die with no enemies. There are people who don't like me, but the feeling is not mutual. That day, I made a conscious choice. Deep in my soul, I made a steely resolve that I will die with no enemies. Therefore, I have decided to bless everyone who curses me. I have determined to hold no grudges, nurse no wounds, nurture no disappointments, and hang on to no resentments. I will process my anger and pain at all costs, and I will forgive my enemies. That decision has saved me countless hours of internal 
anguish, and torment. So this morning, there's an offer for you to process your pain with Jesus by your side. Like to invite him in. Say, Jesus, I'm, I'm going like to bring this thing up, and I need you to come with me, and I need you to help me process and let go of this thing so that my heart can connect to your story. My heart can connect to the church. My heart can connect to my brothers and sisters. So just with your eyes closed, heads bowed, I'm going to pray for us. But I want to invite you, if you want to just do that this morning, the altars are open. If you just kind of want to come stand before Jesus and say, stand by my side, you want to kneel at the altars, our prayer team is going to be down front. If you're like, I need to confess something, I need someone to hear um, what I've been through, and I need them to pray for me. I need to break some things off of my life, bitterness, resentment, hurt, wounds, confusion, disillusionment. That's what we want to do this morning. Jesus can heal you. Yeah. So Jesus, we just come before you this morning. And Lord, we just collectively repent of all the hurt and wounding all of the sin that has taken place in your church. For all that it's done to us and in the ways we have participated, we've been a part of it. We've been hurt and we've hurt people. Jesus, we repent of that. Would you forgive us of our sins? Would you cleanse us today? Would you restore your church in this generation to a place of healing and safety and grace? to a place of gentleness and tenderness, of mercy and compassion? Would you use us as instruments of that kind of change? So Holy Spirit, right now, would you speak to hearts? Would you put your finger on places in us and say, I want to deal with that today. Don't leave until you lay that down, until you let that go, until you forgive or ask for forgiveness. Yeah. So thank you, Jesus, for your mercy, your compassion. Thank you for the story of Paul and Timothy. Would you give us, Lord, a deeply rooted connection to our heritage, to our story, and to one another. Yeah, we pray in Jesus' name. So as the band sings, I just want to invite you, if you want to come up and pray by yourself, you can come to the altars. If you need prayer, our prayer teams are going to be on the sides down there. I encourage you to come.